ready to sink your teeth into scripture and get a bulldog grip on its truth? Let's gnaw on some doctrine and get bulldogmatic. Here is your host. Hi, my name is Scott. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Pastor William Shiflett. It's good to be with you here this good, morning, good Pastor. To be, good to be here. Uh, tell them about your blog before we get started. WilliamsGoodWord.org. You have uh, you have to put the dash in there. Williams-Good-Word.org. Good news and social commentary. So there's a lot of good news stories out there that let you know the world is not. Everybody hasn't gone mad. There's good stories out there. And you know, I I mentioned this a couple weeks ago in church. They actually have a term now called doom scrolling. Wow. Where people just Flip through bad story after bad story after bad right. story. Uh, and some of what we're seeing in our culture, you heard about there was a Knott's Berry farm somewhere. I think it was in Florida, and they, they had to close it down because all these fights kept breaking out. People are at a breaking point. They're on the edge. And part of the problem is all they're hearing is bad news. There is some good news out there. Yes, there so is. So williamsgoodword.org and there are various links. And uh, I encourage people to go there. Right. Um, we're talking today about justification. Now, justification, that's one of those things, you know, a lot of things uh, you can be dogmatic about, but justification is one of those things that you need to be bulldogmatic right. about. Right. So, it's fundamental, uh, foundational. Exactly. So we, we really need to chomp into this and get a bulldog grip into justification. So uh, it's very, very important to the Christian life. And, of course, we're in Chapter 9 which is Justification, uh, The Christian Life by Dr. Sinclair Ferguson. And Dr. Ferguson starts off by saying, probably more trouble is caused in the Christian life by an in- inadequate or mistaken view of this doctrine than any other. When the child of God loses his sense of peace with God, finds his concern for others dried up, or generally, generally finds his sense of the sheer goodness and grace of God diminished, it is from this fountain that he has ceased to drink. Conversely, if we can gain a solid grounding here, we have the foundation for a life of peace and joy. So a life of peace and joy, that sounds pretty good. That does, that does. But uh, does a Christian's life, uh, uh, in a Christian's life, does peace and joy come from our circumstances? No, no, because circumstances change. Uh, there, the, you have good ones, you have bad ones. All of us know that. One of the worst mistakes any of us make is to assume that the way it is right now is the way it's always going to be, whether good or bad. Right. Even if, if it's bad, you, you, you can think, okay, this is just the way it's going to be. Uh, if it's good, you can think, I made it, I've arrived now, and everything's sweet, and then boom, next week or next month or yes, uh, tomorrow, mm-hmm. something happens that upsets your apple cart. Right. And we're seeing that again with, I was talking to my wife yesterday about the 2008 uh, housing bubble and the collapse there and all the finance and everybody's equity was gone and et cetera. And we got through that and we paid down our debt and we refinanced our note and we got a better interest rate. And we thought, okay, you know, now the rest of the way we're, we're well, three years later now, here we are, mm-hmm. 9% inflation. So that's, we, our, our joy has to come from something beyond our circumstances. Right. And uh, the, the Christian 
has the hope that there's joy and peace in Christ and we being made right with God. Exactly. So we can have joy and peace through this time of uh, uh, turmoil and, and uh, trouble that we go through in life, uh, as well as a time of, of joy. Right. We should have, and we, we always want to make that distinction between happiness and joy. Right. Happiness depends on your circumstances. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And so Christians, above all people, should have joy, even when they don't have any reason to be happy. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Ferguson goes on. He says, what is justification? That's a good question. Um, he says, in Scripture, the word for justify and justification convey the idea of being righteous or being in a right relationship. Then he goes on to compare it with Greek philosophy in which uh, righteousness meant conformity to the accepted ethical norms of a society in general. Um, in our society, if you were to ask people on the street what righteousness means, what kind of answers do you think you would get? I'm not sure. Well, it depend on the it would depend on the person's age because I'm not sure that uh, uh, younger generations have ever even heard that. Mm-hmm. They've heard words like injustice, justice, uh, moral, immoral, right, wrong, good, evil. But I don't, I don't know that younger generations would, would know what righteousness, uh, conveyed. We live in a culture where even many Christians are biblically illiterate. And, uh, the truth. Uh, so for to have a younger person even know what righteousness was or meant, uh, would be, I don't, I don't think you would, you would get a, an answer regarding the definition of righteousness. You would get, uh, you would probably get an answer relating to some kind of value system that they have, mm-hmm. which we would argue that that righteousness is a value that we should cling to. But uh, the way that that's described about the ancient cultures, the accepted norms. Well, we got to realize that righteousness has to go beyond the accepted norms mm-hmm. because that would mean slave owners were righteous. Right. That was accepted. I mean, you know, right now we're, we're, we're living in a time where everybody's trying to rewrite that information. And, but the whole world, they, you know, they blame us in America, but the whole world practiced slavery. Some parts of the world is still slavery. And even like something like Saudi Arabia did not outlaw slavery until 1979. Mm-hmm. So, that was the accepted norm in the ancient world. Nobody blinked at it. This is the way things are. Mm-hmm. So when you when you say righteousness is an accepted norm, that again doesn't work because the norms of society are bizarre at right. times, and they're ever changing. Ever now, the changing. Right, righteousness of God it never changes. It never so changes. Never and, changes. And by the way, we don't want to wax too political, but this is a part of the problem right now in our culture where people th- are ta- constantly talking about passing a law. They don't understand that in our system, that law can be changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the whole thing with the Roe v. Wade debate and 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 the fr- and anger and frustration everybody has. The fact of the matter is, it can be changed. Right. And so we need a standard be outside of ourselves, not just this. We're going to pass this law this week, and next week we're going to pass a different law. And when the next president comes along, we're going to pass a different law. 
we're going to have to settle on a standard of righteousness that is outside of ourselves. Right. And the Christian argues that that is found in the Word of God. Exactly. Dr. Ferguson uh, puts it this way. He says, but in Scripture, righteousness is of an altogether higher order. To be righteous in Scripture means to be rightly related to God and to his law. Right. You, you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. He uh, goes on, he says, justification and righteousness are legal terms. And, of course, we've talked about this in, in the past, but it's very, very important to, to, to stress how this relates to justification. He says the question is, how is this person related to the law? And in his case, uh, he's in the UK. How is the person related to the authority of the monarch? So he's kind of relating to the justice system where he lives. Now, where we live in the United States, of course. So uh, I would I would put it this way: uh, the question is, how is this person related to the state or federal law, and how is this person related to the state or federal constitution? Uh, those are the authorities that we have right. set up in our civil uh, government. But God works things uh, a little bit uh, differently under his, as, we, as we'll see. Uh, Dr. Ferguson says when the court, and he's talking about our civil court, uh, pronounce that it's, its verdict, it declares how the, the accused now stands in relation to the law whether they're innocent or guilty. Um, my question to you, in Scripture, does justify uh, mean to make righteous in the sense of changing a person's character? No, it just means that you've been declared righteous. Um, that that and, and as it relates to our walk with God. Now, let me just point out something here because this is, I'm always kind of confused me when we use terms about legal terms with respect to God. Mm -hmm. We're not suggesting that there's some tribunal holding God accountable. Right. We're saying God is using the legal concepts of humankind's interaction mm -hmm. to convey the truth of his word, which right. is, which is true in everything. So and when we talk about it, it's a legal word. We mean if you go into a court of law and you understand how the court of law works, then you have this uh, the, this terminology, which we would describe as legal. Sometimes you'll hear the, the word forensic, you know, with respect to our relationship with God. Those are terms that do not apply to God because God is perfect and cannot be cannot do evil. Mm -hmm. It is a term that we find in human interaction about the way law is applied to given situations. Right. But the law has no ability. In fact, this is one of the things we had on our sign the other week after the Roe v. Wade thing came down. We put on the sign that changing human laws won't change human hearts. Right. The court can look at all the evidence and say, not guilty, mm -hmm. and the person may be guilty. Exactly. The, the, the opposite is true. The court may say not guilty and the person is, is as guilty as sin, as we say. Mm -hmm. So it's the, the, the declaration of righteousness doesn't make a person righteous. It puts them in a position where they can receive the benefits that they were not able to uh, uh, 
benefit from, I hate to be redundant, but benefit from as a person who was declared guilty. So typically, again, when our culture, we're having this issue, typically you, you do some horrible thing and they send you to prison. You're guilty. You lost benefits. You're declared righteous, not guilty. You're acquitted. You continue on with the benefits you had before. Right. When we talk about justification as it relates to Christianity, when we're declared righteous by God, uh, we're, we're not changed instantly. We're declared righteous, which means we now have access to the benefits that come from a right relationship with God. Right. Dr. Ferguson uh, quotes James Buchanan uh, from his book called The Doctrine of Justification. Uh, I believe that was in a, written in 1961. Uh, and the quote is, and I think you explained this quote very, very well. The sentence of a human judge is merely decla uh, declarative. It does not constitute a man either innocent or guilty. It only pronounces him to be so in the eyes of the law. It may be even erroneous and may pronounce one to be innocent who is really guilty and another to be guilty who is really innocent, which you were just explaining. Um, where, whereas, whereas in justifying a sinner, God does what no human can do. He first constitutes him righteous, who was not righteous before, and he declares him to be righteous in his infallible judgment, which is ever according to truth. So did, that kind of uh, goes along exactly with what you were saying before. Did you have anything that you wanted to add to it? or No, no, no. Just that, you know, that concept of God has declared us righteous right? because we put our faith in Christ and this is how we become righteous in the sight of God, which, by the way, was the whole argument of the Reformers, uh, beginning with Luther. He wanted to know how can a sinner be right with God? Yeah. How can a sinner be right with God? And that, by the way, is fundamental. That, that so much misunderstanding of the salvation experience, of the teaching of Scripture, comes down to that one thing, the belief that I can satisfy God's expectations. Right. Uh, it, it can't, it cannot be done. And we do not have the ability to do it. God, that's why God had to come down and do it for us through Christ. Exactly. Dr. Ferguson says the, uh, the question must be faced. How do we know that in scripture justification means constituting a purchase, a person Righteous by declaration. And then he says several pieces of evidence prove the case. And he goes on to, to give uh, four pieces of evidence. Uh, the first one is that justification is the opposite of condemnation. Mm, that's good. And he quotes Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy 25.1. If there is a dispute between men and they become and they come into court, and the judges decide between them, acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty. So acquitting, the, the word there, I, I, I uh, assume that means the same thing as justification. If you're acquitted, you're justified. You're found innocent. Right. Is that correct? Yeah. You're declared yeah. innocent. Yeah, yeah no, another, another way to say it is it's a... Uh, uh, 
you know, for, for, for our, our culture is just simply not guilty. That's, right. that's the argument. Not guilty. Not guilty. You're declared not guilty, uh, because of the forgiveness of Christ and the cleansing of God and the work of Christ on Calvary. It's so, so that big word again in our culture, we're, we're not opposed to using those words, but many people in our culture do not understand the language we use today. Mm-hmm. We have dumbed things down so much that, um, you can't, uh, always communicate. So not guilty is just a different way of saying it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't know if you've ever heard it, but there used to be a little saying that justified means just as if I had never sinned. Right. Now that's a, that's just a way to bring it down to a ground level. Mm-hmm. When I am justified, the court would say, he didn't do this, you know, uh, therefore the court should have, the court and in earthly terms, society should not look upon this person with contempt. They have been declared innocent, not guilty. They've been acquitted. Uh, that's the term involved as, as if you didn't do anything. Right. Now, also, if we could just pause there for a minute, because it goes back to the question of joy earlier. If you don't understand that God no longer holds your past sins against you, you will always be laboring under this delusion that I've got to do more and more and more and more to get that 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 uh, acceptance, rather than seeing that it is it has been provided for in Christ. And that's why I like this first example, justification versus condemnation. And how many people in Romans chapter eight, Paul says, there is now no condemnation. And I emphasize that not just because of Romans chapter eight, but the book of Romans is the whole discussion is being justified. And what that means is, if I've truly received Christ and walking with him, then there, there should be no condemnation. And if I'm feeling what we would term condemnation, uh, there, there are several ways for that. One, it's coming from the devil, who's always accusing the brethren. Right. One, it comes from me in that I just won't let go. I'm still trying to be good enough. Or C, we're confusing conviction which continues in our lives as right. God deals with us about our sin with condemnation. condemnation. And, and you should, you should, we, we should feel convicted if we're doing something we shouldn't be doing, mm-hmm. but we should not feel condemned. And by the way, uh, even conviction is an act of God's love and grace. Mm-hmm. As many as I love, I correct, he says in Revelation. You know, conviction is, is a good thing. Good thing. That's a good thing because it draws you closer to Christ, or it should draw you closer right. to That's the purpose right. Right. of it. Now, condemnation, that's the complete opposite. Yeah. Uh, that's something we don't want. No, we don't want that, and, and, it, and that does not come from God. Exactly. So when someone is declared... Now, one thing, too, maybe you probably uh, said this before, but to make... Uh, for the young Christians out there, maybe someone might be listening that's that's uh, a brand new Christian. Uh, we, uh, our judicial system is just used as a picture. It's not the same. It's not the same. God's is holy, right. absolute, unchangeable, where ours is just uh, a pattern that we use so we can understand it a right. little bit better. Right. Um, 
So when a person is declared not guilty, that doesn't mean, that doesn't make them innocent. No, no. They're just declared. They're declared to be not not guilty. Exactly. Even Um, though they they could be guilty as sin, as it goes. Right. Uh, So we'll hint at something here. We might come back to it later. But this is where repentance and forgiveness comes in mm-hmm. because the, the court might say you're innocent, but you aren't innocent in, in a sense that you're not sorry for what you did. Now, again, we're talking about an earthly court. Uh, the earthly court might say not guilty. Uh, and that person cannot, uh, doesn't, it just goes on without ever having dealing with it. See, uh, whereas guilty should bring some sense of remorse. And that's where we're going back again to conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit convicts us of our guilt, but when we are justified, when we're cleansed, when we're saved, then that, that kind of guilt mm-hmm. should, um, should not hold us down anymore. Right. Number two, he says the terms with which righteousness is associated have a judicial character as well. Genesis 18.25 Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put righteousness to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of the all the earth do what is just? Um, and the question I have, of course, God's always going to do what is just. Right. Uh, because he is a just God. Is our justice system based on the justice system that we find it in the Bible. Yeah. I would say loosely based. Uh, okay. So I would, I would want to qualify the word loosely because I do think a lot of our judicial system is based on drawn from scripture. Okay. Uh, you have the idea of multiple witnesses because one witness could be wrong. You have warnings about, uh, taking bribes, even in the Old Testament, judges were not to take bribes, right. etc. Um, the, you, you had mitigating circumstances. So when you read some of the teachings in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, you know, if two men are fighting and they strike a pregnant woman and she loses the baby, there's a punishment. Whereas if she doesn't lose the baby, she might, she might be forced into premature birth, but the baby's healthy and alive, then there, there's a different kind of punishment. So you have mitigating circumstances. You also have cities of refuge where if you accidentally killed someone, what today we would call, uh, manslaughter, uh, and we have first degree, second degree, et cetera, uh, then you were able to flee to this town to be protected from the the blood kin that would like to take vengeance. Mm-hmm. So all of those things are in our judicial system. The failure and where, where our, our judicial system fails is we forget that all the people involved in it are just as broken as everybody else. Right. And, and with God, it's not that way. Exactly. So, so God gives us a judicial system that is meant to take into consideration all the problems of our brokenness. But as it relates with God himself, God has none of those broken issues. He is perfect. He is holy. He is absolutely righteous. And therefore his, his judgment is final, is searching and, and, uh, goes to the core of our being. Exactly. And what a wonderful difference yeah. that is. Amen. Uh, and praise God for that. 
Number three, he says the expressions used as synonyms have a declarative sense. Genesis 15, 6 says, and he believed the Lord. He's talking about Abraham. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Um, Psalm 32, 1 through 2 says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no inequity and in whose spirit there is no uh, deceit. So these people are also being declared right. righteous by God. Right. Um, and of course he goes on with one, uh, one more. Romans 4. Verse 3 says, For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Of course, that's just Romans repeating what I right. said right. earlier. So, right. so there again we see the declaration of being made righteous. Uh, number four, he says the ultimate proof that justification involves a status changed by declaration is what we read about our Lord, Jesus Christ. And he brings out 1 Timothy 3.16, which everyone should be fairly familiar with. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up to glory. And of course, in Romans 1.4, he says, he was declared to be the son of God by power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Jesus is declared. Now, that's for our benefit, right? That's not for God's benefit, no, because no. Jesus uh, uh, is, was, and uh, forever will be, right? right. He, he is not a cre- created like some people would like to have us believe. But uh, Jesus always was the Son of God, always will be the Son of God uh, with that. And why is that important? Well, uh, what you have there with respect to the declaration is it's talking about that the human life of Jesus, the the man, was declared to have been, uh, what's the right? The declaration in the eyes of humans. God has declared him to be the son of God. God has declared him these things. It doesn't mean that he was not those things. It means now for all the people looking on, Mm -hmm. it has been made known to them that he was the son of God with power and that uh, uh, God's hand was upon him, etc. So it doesn't, the declaration doesn't change who he is. It just reveals to us who he is. Exactly, exactly. Um, Dr. Ferguson goes on and he talks about the power of justification. He says, the glory of the gospel is that God has declared Christians to be rightly related to him in spite of their sin. Um, And then he asks a a question, which is similar to a question that a viewer sent into us. Um, And that question is, if God justifies us, just as we are, what is the point of holiness right. in our life? Right. So, uh, so the person who wrote in, uh, 
And we welcome that, by the way. We want, yes. we want people to write in any questions you have, whether you, we, uh, we want to know. We want to be able to engage with you. Mm-hmm. The question was that if we're chosen and God's going to save us anyway, why do we need to repent? Right. And it's similar to this. If God has justified us, why do we need to pursue holiness? And, uh, part of the, pr- part of the problem is that you, you don't, uh, is the failure to see that all of these things and the, the analogy that, you know, I use a lot is a diamond. It's one diamond, but there are these different facets. So repentance, justification, and an example of that, if I could, in fact, I'll just take a moment to do this to give you a, a, a more thorough uh, understanding of what we mean is Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul says, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. In other words, the choice does not negate the need for holiness. The goal of the choice is to be holy. Okay, Having predestined us to adoption as sons to himself. Uh, In him we have redemption, verse 7, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, uh, verse number uh, 11, we have obtained an inheritance according to the purpose of him, being predestined according to the purpose of him. He talks in verse 12 about trusting in Christ. He talks in verse 13 about receiving the, the Holy Spirit. All of it is part of the same package. And a person, uh, I think our viewer uh, was confusing somewhat what we call hyper-Calvinism. Okay, and hyper Calvinism says you don't have to hear the gospel, you don't have to repent, you don't have to believe God predestined you, you're going to be saved. But that is not the teaching of Calvinists. It is not the teaching of the historic church. It is not the teaching of the Bible. But faith and repentance go hand in hand. So when God chose us, He chose us. It's the same in similar way. People say, well, if God already knows who's going to be saved, why do we have to preach? Because God uses the preaching of the gospel to bring those who he has chosen to himself. And in coming, we are called upon to repent, to believe, uh, and and, and to put our trust in Christ, etc. It's all part of the same thing. Mm -hmm. So when we a person says, as we see in this letter, um, you know, if I'm already declared righteous, why pursue holiness. And you know, one of the simplest things, it's so funny. It goes, if I could go back just a moment, why do we, why do we go out and preach the gospel if God already knows who's going to be saved? And I, I love the way R.C. Sproul answered that question. He said, because God commands us to go out and preach the gospel. Exactly. That's okay? pretty simple. Yeah. yeah. So the same thing. Why, why do we need justification? The reason we pursue justification or rather the reason we pursue holiness having been justified is twofold. One is because God commands us to do that, mm-hmm. but also because in Romans where it talks about us being predestined, it says we're predestined to something, and that something is conformity to the image of Christ. Mm-hmm. Another phrase that we use in the Christian church is sanctification, where God has declared us righteous, but now he's working in our lives through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, through fellowship with other believers, to become the holiness he has declared us to be. That's a lifelong journey. We all know that. We're not going to be perfect in this life, but we're on a journey towards holiness. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews, for those who don't believe Paul wrote Hebrews, uh, 
The writer of Hebrews says, without holiness, no man will see the, will see the Lord. He says, pursue peace and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So it's, it's, they're, they're part of the, they're part of the same thing. It's not one or the other. It's all part of this whole concept. Right. And so that's where you, you have that. Why should I, why, why do I need to be holy? Because that is the calling that is upon your life when God calls us to salvation. Mm-hmm. He justifies us and that justification are being made right with God allows us to re- then receive the Holy Spirit who begins this transformation from the inside out, making us into the image of Christ mm-hmm. through our obedience, our submission to the word. Uh, it, it's amazing that, that uh, and I should say amazing because that's a separate issue, but many times people think Calvinists or Reformed people believe that you're supposed to be just a robot. And nothing is further from the truth. Right. We do choose to obey God, but that choice is follows the choice God made mm-hmm. and the work he's doing to, to bring those things in our lives. Right. And of course, we're talking about the Christian life and all these things are a part of the Christian life. It's not a cafeteria where right. we go and say, well, I, give me a little bit of justification and a little bit of faith. And right. it's not that way. We don't get to choose. All these are a part of it, right. correct? Right. Absolutely. But God has already chosen for us. Right. The, this is a part. Right. So we need to learn these doctrines and these teachings because it's a vital part. All of them are a vital part. Yeah. They're all, they're all part of the package. It's Mm -hmm. not, it's not this or that. It's this and that. Okay. And, and this is one of the things that I struggle with in, in, as a pastor is helping people to understand the number of people you encounter say, well, I believe, I believe, I believe in God. But they don't live for God. And, and they don't understand that the two are connected scripturally. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that, that I have to, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about times of personal struggle. I'm not talking about times of, uh, we, we have these ebbs and flows in our lives where we're closer to God, more on fire. And the other times we're questioning whether we're even saved. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the person who has a total disregard for anything God says in his word yet claims to be a Christian, and the disconnect there is they don't understand that this goes with this, that you cannot have this without that, okay? You you can't. It's it's not one or, it's both and. Mm -hmm. And so when the Bible says repent, it does not not mean to suggest that I, uh, that that it's a one-time thing. I think we talked about it in the previous episode. We, we are called to daily repentance because we're daily in some form or another in opposition to God. We have been declared righteous in his sight. He looks on us now as he looks at Christ. But the difference there is Christ is already perfect, always was perfect. We are called to that, that kind of holiness, that kind of blamelessness. It's not one or the other, it's both and. To be continued, we will continue this conversation in the next episode. And it keeps getting more and more interesting.
Be sure to like and share this with your friends, and be sure to subscribe to our channel. Thanks for listening.